you got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 11? This morning, we're going to begin a three-part series of studies that I'm really believing and trusting God is going to encourage you and to help you to become uh, the committed, faithful, generous Christian that God wants you to be. If you're new to Abilene, one of the things that we do every uh, single year during the month of February is we focus our hearts and our minds, we give attention uh, to really what the Bible has to say to teach about stewardship and financial matters and those sorts of things. And here's what I've said now for over a decade, and if you've been around before, uh, you know this phrase. You could probably rattle it off better than I could. February is for finances at Abilene. Say that with me. February is for finances uh, at Abilene. And so this morning, we're going to begin a brand new series that I'm entitling, I Will Give My All for heaven today. Let me tell you where that comes from. Uh, I'm a Tennessee Vols fan. Many of you all know that. And if you were to go into the locker room there at Neyland Stadium, as you're making your way out of the tunnel onto the field, uh, up over the doorway, there is an outline of my beloved state of Tennessee. Uh, and in that outline, there are these words, I will give my all for Tennessee today. And as those Tennessee Vols rush out of that uh, locker room onto the field, they will jump up and slap that sign as their way of saying, I'm going to give my all. I'm going to play my best. I'm going to leave it all on the field. And I have watched that uh, really now for the last several years. And it kind of hit me here about four or five weeks ago that if we can do that for a football game, if we can do that for our hobbies, if we can have that kind of dedication for so many of the things in our lives that, that really don't even matter in eternity, then how much more should we be intentional and sacrificial and generous with the stuff, the finances, the money, the material things that God has blessed us with and entrusted into uh, our care? So here's what I want to do this morning in this first sermon I want to get really personal, biblical, and practical. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes here today about godly giving. And I'm going to share with you this morning some really simple lessons on biblical stewardship. And I want us to learn from the Bible what God has to say about the right and the righteous use of money. And this may very well come as a surprise for many of you all, uh, but God has a lot to say about money, how we view it, how to use it, how to invest it, how to give it, and etc. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught more in the Gospels about money, financial things, material things than he did about heaven or hell. He taught more about money, finances, and material things than he talked about prayer or faith. You've got just over 500 verses on prayer. You've got uh, less than 500 verses on faith, while there are over 2,000 verses in the New Testament that deal with money or material things, financial things, and those sorts of things. Jesus told 38 parables, and 16 of those parables, he deals with money, or he uses money to teach spiritual truths. And see, we know what money is, right? Money is cash, dollars, dinero, moolah, bucks, bacon, cabbage, whatever word you want to call it. But one of the things that I realized years ago and I was reminded of just this past week is that so many people and even a lot of Christians either don't know or they're not doing what God has told them to do with the money that he has entrusted to them. And so in this series of studies, what I, what I want to do is I want to ask and answer some of the questions either that 
perhaps you have or you should have as a Christian about money and finances and giving and material things as a follower of Jesus Christ. For example, what are the principles that should determine and drive how we view and what we do with our money? Why should we give? How should we give? Weekly or weekly? Uh, where should we give? How much should we give to the Lord's work through His church? What's the difference between tithing and giving offerings? When we tithe, are we to tithe on the net or are we to tithe on the gross? How can I grow in generosity? Now, let me tell you what I do know. I've been doing this a long time. And here's what I know. The most sensitive nerve in the entire human body is not the nerve that runs through your tooth. It's not the nerve that runs through your, your thumb when you hit it with a hammer. The most sensitive nerve in your entire human body is the one that runs right through your wallet. It's true, right? That nerve that runs right through your wallet, right through your pocketbook, right through your bank account is the most sensitive nerve in the entire human body. And as a result of that, people get really upset about money. So there was a pastor who, who was <clears throat> in his office one, one weekend, and he was working on his sermon, and all of a sudden there was a knock on the door, and he opened the door, and there was an irate church member. Can I just tell you as a pastor, you never want to open your door and have an irate church member. This guy was mad. And he said, preacher, I need to show you something. And he said, well, just, just follow me. And so they walk down a hall, and this irate, mad, fuming church member stops right in front of the custodian's closet. He opens up the door and he said, just look at that. What do you have to say about that? And the pastor said, say about what? He said, look at those. Look at those. Don't you see it? Five brand new brooms in that custodian's closet. Why do we have five brand new brooms in the, in the closet? I mean, the one we have is still good enough. I mean, it's about that short. But it's good enough. We didn't need five new brooms. And the pastor said, well, I'm not really sure why we, maybe they had a sell on brooms. I don't know why we have. He said, but I'll ask the custodian. So he went to find the custodian. And in the meantime, he bumped into the church treasurer. And he, he kind of told what, what had happened with old Joe. And, and when, he, when he told the treasurer about Joe being so mad about those five, five brooms, the, the treasurer started chuckling. He said, and the pastor said, what's so funny? It's not funny. You're not the one he's in there yelling and screaming at. He said, but pastor, you need to understand where Joe's coming from. How would you like to see every dime, every penny you gave all last year tied up in five brand new brooms stuck in a closet? <laughs> and so I get it. I get it. That's why so often so many preachers are hesitant to preach and teach what the Bible teaches and has to say about stewardship and giving and why so many church members are not very excited at all when the preacher begins to preach on giving. Matter of fact, you're here this morning and you, you didn't know that I was going to do this today and you're sitting there going, I knew I should have skipped today. I knew I shouldn't have come. Well, can I just be honest with you this morning? By the end of the service, you're probably going to need a brown paper bag in order to help yourself, right? And so people get upset. They get, they get mad. But every year, it's funny, every year, and it happened again this year, I will have people tell me, preacher, I ain't going to be there in February. Excuse me? I ain't coming to church in February. Well, why not? Because you're preaching on giving and tithing in February, and I, I already know what you're going to say, and I already tithe, and, and there ain't nothing you can teach me about that. Well, here's what I would say to you. Number one, so often it's not that you might learn something you didn't know. I pray that you do. A lot of times it's just a matter of being reminded of what you already knew in order to do perhaps what you might not be doing. And even if you are doing what you know to do, then a lot of times 
The thing would be for you to be here in order to encourage the preacher as he preaches and in order to be an example to those either new Christians or immature, disobedient Christians who are not doing what God has told them to do. Francis Dixon used to say that from his experience and observation that, quote, the very last thing a person gives to Jesus is their wallet, their pocketbook, or their bank account. And let me just say this to you this morning. How you view money and giving and generosity is both a thermometer and a thermostat of your spiritual life. A greedy Christian, a begrudging Christian, a disobedient Christian who refuses to give with a cheerful heart is just showing that either they don't understand or appreciate their role as stewards of the grace, gifts, and gold of God or the financial stewardship of what God has already given to them. Understand this. You are not your own. Do you know that? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your will is not your own. Uh, your life is not your own. Your loved ones are not your own. Your house is not your own. Your bank account, your retirement account is not your own. All the stuff that we think of as ours really isn't ours. You say, well, how do you know that? Because God says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. I heard about a, a guy who just got recently gotten saved. He'd given his heart and life to Jesus. He's about to get baptized. And just before he walks into the pool, down into the pool, he reaches over and grabs his wallet and sticks it in the front pocket of his shorts. The preacher sees him do this. He said, hey, 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 Bob, you, you may not want to do that. You're going to get your wallet wet. And I love what he said. Here's what he said. He said, well, pastor, I want my wallet to get baptized too. It's a great lesson for every single one of us who claims to be a Christian. I can't even begin to imagine how different things would be for this church and the mission and ministry that God has for us if when, people, if when people gave their life to Jesus, they were to give control of their finances to Jesus too. If when they go to get baptized, they were to have their wallet, their pocketbook, or their bank account baptized too as an open public profession of their commitment to Jesus. Never forget this one principle. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. We sing that song. All to Jesus I surrender, surrender, all to him I freely give. And the sad thing is, is that so many times, so many people don't really surrender everything. And they don't really give everything. And so here's what I will do this morning. Are y'all still there? I'm going to ask that several times today. What I want to do this morning is I want to make sure that we're all on the same page because in a, in a church like Abilene, you can have those who've been saved for 30, 40, 50, 60 years who are doing exactly what they're supposed to do or they've been saved that long and not doing what they're supposed to do. Or you can have those who are brand new Christians, immature Christians, who've never been taught what the Bible teaches about tithing and giving offerings and biblical stewardship. And so in order to get all of us on the same level, on the same page, what I want to do this morning is I want to teach what the Bible says that God expects from us as Christians in this whole area of financial stewardship. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your notes, your, your, your Bible, pull out your note page. And at the very top there, I want you to just write this one word at the very top, disciple. Just write that there somewhere, type it in somewhere, disciple. And here's why. As disciples of 
Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ. The word disciple means that we are disciplined ones. A disciple is one who allows the Holy Spirit to discipline and govern and control every area of our heart and life. And so the question that I want to ask every single person here this morning who says that they're a Christian, deacon, Sunday school teacher, choir member, greeter, nursery worker, student, everybody else, is this. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you one who is disciplined and guided and governed in every area of your life, including how you view and use and handle your money by the Holy Spirit of God. And so what I want to do this morning real quickly as we, as we begin this, this whole series of studies on, on, on Christian stewardship is I want to take you back to one of the very earliest stories in the Christian church. It's in Acts chapter 11. What I want to do this morning is use this simple story to teach you some simple lessons on biblical stewardship as we gather together today. Look here in Acts 11 verse 27 and if you have found your way there say uh-huh. So Luke says this, and in, those, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So let me give you the background of what's taking place here in Acts 11. So in Acts 11, you have had a tremendous revival, a big, widespread revival in the city of Antioch. And as a result of that, many people had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Many folks had been converted. Many folks had given their heart and their life to Jesus. And not long after that, there's this prophet by the name of Agabus who shows up, and he says, hey, there's going to be a terrible famine, and a lot of Christians are going to be in terrible shape. They're going to have a great need. And here's what blows me away. These brand-new Christians, these baby Christians, when they heard that there was a need, they said to Agabus, we want to help. We want to take care of that need. And if you'll look in verse 29, uh, Luke says that they determined to do it. And in verse 30, they did it. Nobody twisted their arm. Nobody browbeat them. Nobody scolded them or, or, or forced them or coerced them to give. No, it was just a spontaneous spiritual act of Christian love. And I think that's the difference. Are y'all paying attention? I think that is the main difference between giving in the Old Testament and giving in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the tithe was the duty. It was paying your dues. If you were a Jew, you were obligated, commanded to give your money to the temple. But when you get to the New Testament, it's not a duty, it's a delight. In the Old Testament, they gave because of law. In the New Testament, we give because of love. In the Old Testament, they gave because it was commanded. In the New Testament, we give because it's commended. In the Old Testament, giving was required. In the New Testament, giving is rewarded. One of my favorite quotes on giving comes from my pastor, Dr. Rogers. And Adrian Rogers said this, think about it, that for a Jew under the law to give more than a Christian under grace is a disgrace to grace. For a Jew under the law, no grace, no Jesus, no Holy Spirit, for a Jew under the law to give more than a Christian under grace is a disgrace to grace. And so with all of that as introduction in mind today, there are two main things that I want you to say. The first thing we're going to spend some time on this morning are the givers. Who is to give? 
But then the second thing we're going to look at is the giving. How and what and when and why are we to give? So if you're taking notes here this morning, number one, the givers. And here's the very first thing that I want you to understand. That giving is the Christian's privilege and responsibility. Look in verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief. Now who gave? Luke says it was the Christians. The disciples, not just anybody, but those who had just been saved and been followers, become followers of Jesus Christ. And that's so important. Because so many times in a sermon like this, in a series like this, I will have people either come up to me and say it to my face, or I can tell by looking at your faces here this morning. And they'll say something like this. That doesn't make any sense. I, I, don't, I don't get it one bit at all. Why would I want to give my hard-earned money, and not really get anything back in return. Why, why would I want to do that? And I get it. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it wouldn't really make any sense. If you're not a Christian, it wouldn't make any sense. Because your heart has not been changed. Your mind has not been transformed. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 8, that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And what that means is this, that God won't accept anything from me until I first give myself to him. And I've seen this several times uh, in, in the course of my life in ministry. You'll have a guy that lives like the devil, nothing to do with the things of God, wouldn't know Jesus if he met him in a 100-acre in, in field or a phone booth. Uh, I mean, he, he's not saved at all. All of a sudden, he's in the hospital on his deathbed. He's dying. They send him home on hospice, and what does he do? He pulls out his checkbook, and he starts writing big checks to the hospitals and, and the March of Dimes and, and to the church. And, and what he thinks is, is that somehow by giving those gifts at that point in his life, somehow when he gets to the other side, it's going to kind of make things go better for him. And here's what the Bible says, that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now, Isaiah says it this way, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Speaking for God, God says, why are you making sacrifices if you're not right with me? Get right with God. Isaiah 5.22, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. They're not acceptable until you offer yourself. And that's why giving is the Christian's privilege and responsibility. Number two, giving is the privilege and responsibility of every Christian. Look at verse 29. Then the disciples each, that means each one of them, every one of them. You see, giving isn't just for a few it's the privilege and responsibility for every single Christian. Every single one of us who knows the Lord and love the Lord and are called and want to serve the Lord are called to give what he's told us to give. And so here's the question. Why do we give? The why. Why do we give? Because he gave first. The greatest verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he did what? No, no, what did he do? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the greatest giver in all the universe. Because God gave first, God gave best, God gave most. And as a result of that, those of us who are followers of Jesus, Paul says in Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us. And what that means is this, is that when we realize how much the Lord loved us and how he gave his life on the cross for us, then the natural response is that we want to give him everything that we have, all that we are, so that he might receive the glory, the church might be built up, and the gospel might be spread all around the world. Are y'all still there? Have I made you mad yet? Let me try one more time. All right, so pay attention. 
Did you know that if Christians gave the way that God's Word says and God's Spirit leads, that there would not be anything that God wants done that wouldn't be done? It's just true. Every missionary would be sent. Every ministry would be fully funded. Every building would be built. Every need would be met. But the sad thing is, is that's not happening. It's not happening at all. Vanco. One of those organizations that helps churches and nonprofits in their giving, Banco put out a report entitled Church Giving Stats and Strategies for Adapting to New Trends. And did you know what they said? They said that only 5% of churchgoers tithe. Can I be very honest with you this morning? I think that's high. Only 5% of churchgoers tithe. The average giving amount per churchgoer per week is $17. Time out. $17. Are you making change out of the offering plates? I mean, $20 in, $3 out. How do you get $17? Not even $20. And between 1990 and 2015, giving dropped by more than 50%. 37% of churchgoers didn't give one penny last year. Not a dime. You say, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Are y'all still there? I'm going to ask it several times to make sure you're all right. You need a bag? You need a bag? All right, pay attention. If every Christian tithe, that's 10%, churches would have an extra $139 billion per year for ministry emissions. But here's what I want you to notice again, what Luke says, verse, verse 29, Acts 11, about these new Christians. Then the disciples, each, each one of them, everyone, literally every man. That sounds a whole lot to me like what Paul said to the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be me no collections when I come. And so biblical stewardship, Christian giving, is the responsibility, the privilege of every single person who claims to be a Christian. Do, do you all sit around and think like I do? Sometimes your brain just gets wandering. Does your brain ever just... Psh? Have you ever stopped to consider, think about, ponder, wonder, how in the world that the cults seem to spread and grow like weeds and do so very much to spread their false message. I mean, you've got the Seventh-day Adventists can get on their radio shows and TV broadcasts all around the world. The Mormons can build their great, big, extravagant, beautiful temples all across the nation. The Jehovah's Witnesses can reach more people in the U.S. than any other Christian denomination. The Christian scientists can reach into all areas of, of our culture. How is it possible that these who preach and teach another gospel, a false gospel, do all of that? The answer is easy. They believe in their false gospel so much that every single one of them tithes off of their income. And as a result of that, they have all this money, all these resources to spread their heresy across the country and around the world. While so many of us sitting in Baptist churches on Baptist pews and claim the name of Christ, we might tip God a $10 bill a couple of times a year. And as a result of that, we're not reaching the world or sending out missionaries and helping to expand the kingdom of God like we could or should. Thank you. Giving is the privilege and responsibility of every single Christian. That's the givers. But then number two, and here's where we're going to wrap it up, because I can see y'all ready to go. Some of y'all are going, I'm joining that lady who said she wasn't coming. 
Well, here's the problem. We have those two cameras right there, and I know who's here this morning, and I'll know who's not here next Sunday. I'll send you a letter, right? So let's talk about the giving. We talked about the who. Let's talk about the what, the how, the why, the when, those sorts of things. So number one, there are about five practical biblical things that we see here illustrated in this story. Number one, we're to give proportionately. That's super important. Verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And here's what that means. Some gave more than others gave. Some gave less than others gave. But they all gave as they were able to give. It wasn't equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. And again, Paul says this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper that there may be no collections when I come. He says it again in the next letter. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. That's the brilliance and the balance of biblical giving. It's according to what you have. If you receive more, well, you have more from which to give. If you receive less, then we have less from which to give. What Paul's talking about here, it's, it's, it's amazing. Paul is talking here about the New Testament application of the Old Testament tithe. That's what he's talking about. You remember when Jesus watched the offering? Remember when Jesus watched the offering in Mark and Luke? By the way, he still does. And Luke, Mark, Mark and Luke both tell us that Jesus is sitting, he's sitting there at the treasury. He's kind of he's sitting over on the side. And he's just watching. And the rich folks come in with all their fancy flowing robes and they, they walk in, they take their handful of those gold coins and they toss them into those trumpet-shaped offering receptacles and they bang and clang and everybody says, man, did you see how much they gave? Did you hear about how much they gave? But then Luke says, Mark says too, that, that there's a widow woman who kind of slips over next to one of those receptacles and just drops in two little mites, penny. Maybe. And Jesus said this. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all of those who have given out of the treasury, to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. The thing that determines obedience and generosity in a Christian's life is not how much you give. It's how much you have left after you've given. That's what determines it. And Acts 11 teaches us we're supposed to give proportionally. Number two, we're, we're to give precisely, systematically, not haphazardly. It's always amazed me that so many Christians will handle the Lord's money in ways that we wouldn't dream of doing with the government or the electric company or the mortgage company. You want to know why? Because if we handled what we owe to the mortgage company, the way that we handle what we owe to the Lord, we'd be out on the street. If we handled the money that we owe to the Georgia Power, for example, the way we handle the Lord's money, we'd be in the dark. And if we handled the money that we owe to the government, if we handle that the way that we handle the money that we're supposed to give back to the Lord, you know what would happen? You would walk out to your mailbox this week sometime, and uh, you'd pull it down. There'd be one of those letters from the IRS telling you to show up at a little uh, closet somewhere with a guy with a bad uh, attitude and no mercy. Right? 
I just believe that those who claim to know Jesus Christ and say that we love him with all of our heart and want to serve him, that we should be just as systematic and faithful and consistent in our giving to God as we are to the entities, institutions, and individuals of this world. Amen. Just makes sense to me. That's a great, there's a great phrase in verse 29. He says there, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Jerusalem. The word, the word determined, there's a great word. The word determined means to, to mark out beforehand. It's the idea, the picture of sitting down at your table and you've got your checkbook uh, opened up or you've got your bank app pulled up and you're looking at how God's blessing you and how the money's coming in to take care of your family. And so what you do is you, you determine beforehand in a systematic, deliberate, purposeful way what you're going to give back to the Lord. That's why Paul again says to the Christians in Corinth, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Why? that there be no collections when I come. That's the way that we're supposed to handle the money God's given us to steward first. We're to think about it first. We're to lay it aside first. We're to give it first. That's, we're, 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 that's why the Bible refers to our giving as first fruits. Bill Stafford, who's preached in this church uh, many times before, now with the Lord, Bill, Bill Stafford said that the church is trying to do the Lord's work on spare time and pocket change. On spare time and pocket change. Most of what church members give today, are y'all still there? Y'all not mad yet? Let me try one more time. Most of what church members give today, if they give anything at all, is leftovers. Disney World comes first. Ball team comes first. Beach comes first. Vacation comes first. New truck comes first. New boat comes first. And if we have anything at the end of all that, after we paid all of our bills and bought everything that we want, if we have anything left over, we maybe we might drop the leftovers and the offering plate on the way out after church on Sunday morning. The sad fact of the matter is most churchgoers, most church members spend more at Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, or Walmart in a week than they give all year. not trying to scold you or beat you up or anything like that, I, but I am exhorting you and encouraging you to give first, systematically, faithfully, consistently. Because here's the thing. When God comes last and the church gets leftovers, the mission work of the kingdom gets the scraps, what it means is that something has short-circuited in your walk in love with the Lord. Let me just put this just as plainly as I possibly can. The basic unit of biblical giving is is 10%. We call it the tithe. It's the basic unit. And the tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. The tithe is the starting line, not the finish line. The tithe is the bare minimum that a child of God is supposed to do, not something we pat ourselves on the back for. The tithe is training wheels for biblical stewardship it's god's way of overcoming and defeating greed in our heart and tithing is this you can't ever outgive god god's never going to be in your debt you're never going to have less by giving more that's the abcs of god's economy so number c we're to give pur purposefully look at verse 29 then the disciples each according to his ability determined to send relief watch this to the brethren dwelling in judea Christian living should be focused on and flow to Christian work. We're to give to the Lord's church and the Lord's work first. And that brings me to the next to the last principle. We're to give personally. And here's what some people do. 
they sit down and they figure up how much is coming in, how much is coming out, what they're commanded and expected to give, and then they say they're going to do it. Maybe they even start to do it, but then they never do it. The preacher gets up and he preaches a sermon like this or a series like this. The Spirit of God speaks to your heart and you say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start trusting God and I'm going to give the way that I'm supposed to. But then the service is over. You make your way home. The, 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 the temperature in your soul cools down and you never do what God, what you promised God that you would do. But watch what Luke says about these new Christians in Antioch. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did. They did what they determined in their heart that they would do. Some of y'all sat in a service like this last February. And God spoke to your heart. And you said, we're going to do it. You went home, talked to your husband, your wife, your parents, and you said, we're going to do it. We hadn't been doing it like we we're supposed to. We hadn't been giving anything at all. If we, if, we were, if we were giving anything, we weren't tithing. We were just tipping. And so this year, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're, we're going to do what we're supposed to do. But you never followed through. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I walked past the finance office last week. And it's January, and we send out end-of-year contribution statements. And so I walked past the finance office, and there on the desk was a stack of papers, two and a half inches tall. I know because I measured it. I didn't look at whose it was, but I, I want to know how much. 650-something pieces of paper. of my Abilene family who didn't give a dime, not a penny, all last year. I'm not getting on anybody, but I want to remind you this, that every single one of those pages represents a broken promise to God. Right? If God's people gave the way that God tells us to give... Do you realize we wouldn't know what to do with it? We'd have more money for missions and ministries than we would even know what to do with. Again, no ministry would be unfunded. No missionary couldn't be sent. No building would not be able to be built. We would have everything that we need to do what God has called us to do as a church. If we would just do the bare minimum. Can I, can I just stop and say this right here real quickly? I got to go. The reason why I get so passionate about this, and I, don't, I know a lot of my pastor buddies, they won't preach this sermon. There are guys who have pastored churches 30 years whenever preach this sermon. What I've learned is the reason is because they don't do what they're telling everybody to do. The reason why I don't have any problem preaching on giving and stewardship is because I do it. One of the things I started years ago, and even Dr. Lancaster probably like me to do it some different way, but what I do is I give online and I have the receipt go to my secretary. I've done that now for 12 years here. So that they see when and how much I give. So I don't have to duck. I don't have to blush or be embarrassed. If we would just all give the words, are y'all still there? Make sense?
Yeah, of course it does. Lastly, we're to give particularly. So that's why Malachi says we're supposed to bring the tithes into the storehouse. We're supposed to give to the Lord through the local church. And here's what it says in Acts 11. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And what this teaches me is this as we close. If you're a member at Abilene, then this is talking about the church where you attend and your family is ministered to and so on. That is to be the channel through which you're supposed to give. You give to the Lord through your local church. Amen. Let me say this and I'm done. When you rightly understand what we're talking about here this morning, you'll get this. That tithing isn't giving. It's returning. Tithing's not giving. You're not giving 10% of your money. You're getting to keep 90% of what God gave you. You're just returning as an act of worship, as an act of adoration, as a way of demonstrating, the Lord, that I know that everything that I have comes from you. It all belongs to you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own, you own the hills that they're, that they're standing on. You own the air over them. You own the, the dirt. You own everything. You own me. I love this series. I do. I do. I, I love it. And I get excited every year. Can I tell you why? You say, yeah, you, pre you like preaching on money. Money's not. If, if you take away that this is a sermon on money, you missed it. What I love about this series, because God does it every year, is when I preach on giving, there are people like that young man this morning who will give their life to Jesus. We see it every single year. That there will be people saved during the month of February preaching on giving because they realize, oh, that's just a tangible expression of what I should do in my heart right now. And so when you get all the way down to the heart of the matter, the matter is the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And if you give your heart and life to Jesus, you won't have any trouble giving your time, your talents, your treasure.